Well, greetings and welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, located in the great state of Minnesota. First, let me express my gratitude to our partners. Our official sponsor is Running Aces. Our official tour is Next Level Poker, which is led by World Series of Poker bracelet winner Chris Fox Wallace. Another partner we have is the Poker is Fun Tour, led by Minnesota Poker Hall of Famer Mike Schneider, which is having their first events coming up this weekend at Canterbury Park, featuring a win-and-show tournament where the winning hand must be shown. And our final partner is PokerCoaching.com, which is a training site for Jonathan Little. Well, it continues to be a great stretch at the tables for myself and a number of folks associated with the podcast. We're learning from each other, challenging how we approach the game, and building confidence in making the right plays. Obviously, Variance has something to say about it, but I can tell you that I am improving significantly on the skill side just doing through the studying that I'm doing with the book and with the podcast and the discussions that we're having and, of course, getting to chat with some of the greatest players around. Currently, we're in our third part of a five-part discussion of Jonathan Little's book, Secrets of Professional Tournament Poker, Volume 1, and this week we are covering Chapters 7 and 8. After the quick commercial, you'll hear some audio submitted by Jonathan Little, followed by the continued conversation that we had among a number of recreational players talking about some of our key takeaways from the book. Uh, Many of you have have sent in a number of great topics and ideas around the podcast as we continue to move forward and once we get past the book discussion. We are going to be digging into some specific topics and asking for a number of top players' input into that subject. And so some of that input we're going to get is from fantastic players like Jonathan Little and Fox Wallace, Mike Schneider, Kuvang, Aaron Johnson, Vlad Revniaga, Max Havlish, Brian Soja, and other people that have agreed to give us some input into some really relevant topics that I think are really going to strike strike home for the more advanced players, but also the recreational players. So stay tuned. we got some great things ahead, and if you have any other ideas, feel free to reach out to me uh, through Facebook or Twitter or email. That's all cool. Uh, I did have a bunch of uh, business cards made up. If anybody wants any of those to help spread the word about what we're doing, Uh, On there, it has a lot of information uh, as far as an easy way that you can find the podcast at runningaces.com or runaces.com or through SoundCloud. So if you want to help spread the word, I'm happy to give you some of those, Uh, even willing to to format those and put your name on it if you want to be uh, one of our our ambassadors for for Rec Poker and what we're doing here. So thanks for all of you who have already uh, taken some steps and told your friends about the podcast. Uh, The numbers keep growing, and it's exciting to see. Uh, obviously, we're just uh, just just a dude doing a podcast, not getting paid for it. So uh, we're just having fun. But the the bigger, the better, and the more input we can get, and the more feedback, uh, the better this the end result is going to be. So uh, before we get started, just one more thing, I want to do a quick plug for All and for Africa. For those of you who know me, I'm involved in uh, leading a nonprofit, and one of the things that we do is these charity poker tournaments which we started a few years ago, and our seventh one, All In For Africa, is going to be held October 28th at Running Aces at 10.30 in the morning. And a couple of really cool announcements, uh, pay attention to these. First of all, Next Level Poker is going to be broadcasting live the final table. Actually, once we get down to the final eight, uh, because of the technology, that's when they can start broadcasting. It will not be showing whole cards, so there won't be any delay. It'll be broadcast live through a number of sites and so uh, follow us on Twitter at All In For Africa or Facebook, and that way you'll, you'll find out uh, what those links are that you can use to follow the final table if you get busted out early or if you're not able to play. But that's a cool thing. And then secondly, uh, we had a huge donation made uh, for All In For Africa, and that is a trip for two to Hawaii, first-class flights, uh, stay at the Four Seasons Resort on Maui, and a grand total of about $9,500 of value. And we're going to somehow be incorporating that into the All In For Africa tournament. Right now, we're thinking maybe doing that as a mystery bounty. So if you knock somebody out who nobody knows, it's going to be a random bounty, uh, you will get that trip. So just by playing the tournament, you'll have a chance to win that. We'll have a number of other mystery bounties. We'll also have 45 to 50 people playing as scheduled bounties, so you know who they are and what their prizes are. And then a good chunk of the money goes to... uh, The charity and a good chunk is still paid out in cash, so it's still a high-value tournament. Uh, Typically, the when you add up all the bounties and the cash that's paid out, it ends up being an overlay. 
So it's a, it's a good value to the players, but it's a lot of fun. It's just a fantastic tournament. Really wish you could uh, you could make it out for that. I'm almost done with the flyer, which includes pictures of all the bounties, so you can watch for that online and at Running Aces. And even if you can't play the event, but you want to support what we're doing, uh, we have a partnership with Reg Charity, and through that we are supporting the Against Malaria Foundation, doing fantastic work in preventing malaria. And we have a page set up on their website that you can give directly to. So the money goes directly to them, but we know how many people are involved uh, through what we're doing. So you can go to againstmalaria.com slash AIFA, A-I-F-A, which is short for All and for Africa. So en- enough with that. Let's, uh, let's give a quick shout out to our official sponsor, and then we'll launch into the input and discussion around Chapter 7 and 8 of the book. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Hello, everyone. This is Jonathan Little. I'm here on the Rec Poker podcast, continuing to go over my... First and best-selling book, Secrets of Professional Tournament Poker, Volume 1. This is a fantastic book if you are looking to learn how to be good at poker tournaments. And at the same time, it's also very good if you want to learn how to play deep-stacked poker, which is great for cash games. Make sure you go back and listen to the previous parts of this book club, because I'm not going to say they necessarily are required for what's coming up, but it will certainly be beneficial to you. So make sure you go back and listen to the past podcasts if you have not already. So today we're going to talk about playing the turn and playing the river in deep stacked poker. Playing the turn is an interesting spot because a lot of players start to act somewhat honestly. So I mentioned in the previous part of this that a lot of players will continuation bet with a very wide range on the flop. They read this in a book somewhere that they should raise and continuation bet a lot. And that's a fine strategy if your opponents are very weak and tight, but clearly... If you're reading this book and trying to play well, you're not going to be weak and tight. So when they bet the flop, they're going to have a wide range. But when they get to the turn, often a lot of players will have somewhat honest ranges because they have a lot of garbage in their range and they don't feel inclined to continue bluffing with it. I mean, think about your games, right? You really see players just barreling off with total garbage on the flop turn and river. It's like, probably not, right? So Whenever you do call their flop bet, so say someone raises, you call, flop comes, they bet, you call. Now, here we are on the turn. If they check, very often in these small and medium stakes games, you should just put out a bet. It doesn't have to be a big bet. It can be something like a third pot or 40% pot or half pot. And that's going to pick up the pot for you. And that's because your opponents, when they check, often have a range and balance. They have way too many junk hands and their range. And if they have too many junky hands, well, they have to check fold, and that's going to allow you to steal the pot. Alternatively, another very strong play is to check raise. So I just mentioned how a lot of players play somewhat honestly on the turn. However, if they're still betting with stuff like top pair or maybe even middle pair if they're playing way too aggressively, or if they're betting with some of that junk, those are great players to raise or check raise on the turn because they really cannot defend that well. And you're going to find that most players think that the turn raise or check raise, screams strength. And really, it does, because think about your games. You're really not getting check raised or raised on the turn very often at all unless your opponent shows up with the nuts. So when that's the case, you should often be getting out of the way. Um, that said, if players, if, if you find your opponents are raising you on the turn a ton, you should make sure you adjust by arriving at the turn with strong ranges so that you can realistically defend your turn betting range, or just by not, check, or not betting the turn so often. It's okay to check call. I think something that a lot of amateur players get in trouble with is they think that if they were the aggressor, they must continue being the aggressor. And if they're not the aggressor because they decide to check, well, then they're check folding. And you do not want to make it obvious to your opponent that you're check folding or checking with the intention of folding because that just allows them to very easily bet. So you want to make sure that when you check, it does not only mean that you are giving up. You never want to have that to be the case. It's okay to give up sometimes, but certainly not all the time or anywhere near all the time. So what you can do is say you raise with a hand like, let's say, queen jack, and the flop comes queen seven three. You bet your opponent calls, and the turn's a, an eight. So queen seven three eight. 
this is a pretty good spot to check versus aggressive players because if you think about their flop calling range, what is it really going to be on queen 7-3? Well, it's going to be some queens, which you actually lose to a decent amount of those. It's going to be some sevens, which are not going to pay you off on the turn in the river unless they have 8-7 and made two pair. And it's going to be the random gut shot straight draws like 6-5, 6-4, and 5-4. And those hands are going to fold if you bet on the turn. At least some of them will. Maybe 6-5 won't. So... This is a great spot to check versus an aggressive player with the intention of check-calling the turn and then check-calling the river. You give your opponent the opportunity to bluff, and also you make it impossible for him to blow you off your hand because now you're just calling the turn in the river, right? Whereas if you bet the turn, say you bet, I don't know, eight big blinds on the turn, which is maybe half pot at this point, and your opponent raises to 24 big blinds, well, now all of a sudden you're playing a huge pot with queen-jack for top pair marginal kicker, and that's certainly not where you want to be. So we mentioned this in the previous part about how you want to think ahead about how the hand's likely to play out, and this is a really good example of that. Um, and we also discuss how you should generally play draws and top pairs on the turn, because very often those are the main hands you're going to have. Um, drawing hands are interesting. Usually you just want to continue betting with your draws, assuming you don't think you're going to get raised. If, if your draw is good enough to check call, or call if your opponent bets, that's often fine to do. Um, for example, if you have the ace-high flush draw, often that's going to be a strong enough hand to call if your opponent bets. So you don't really need to be raising or betting with that draw necessarily. Whereas if you have the nut low flush draw, you know, some 5-4 suited or something, then often you do want to be betting and playing aggressively because 5-4 or 5-high cannot win at showdown on the river, whereas ace-high sometimes does. So as your draws get weaker to a point, you typically want to play them aggressively because they're not strong enough to call on their own merits. Um, then we discuss playing the river when deep stacked, and river play is pretty interesting because on the river you either have a very strong made hand, you have a marginal made hand, or you have nothing. And that's a little bit different than the flop in the turn, because on the flop in the turn, you either have a premium made hand, a marginal made hand, a draw, which has some amount of equity, or nothing. So you're missing draws on the river, and that leads to some interesting scenarios, because quite often one player has what's referred to as polar, a polarized range, which means either a very good hand or a very bad hand. Usually that's going to be premium-made hands and busted draws. And the other player has a lot of marginal-made hands. So one player is either betting for value with the nuts, or effective nuts, or they're bluffing, and the other player is often either calling or folding with a marginal-made hand. So anyway, we discussed this a little bit in the book. Uh, we mentioned earlier about how you want to think about your expected value, and there are often spots where you can call when you think you're beat, but you should call based on your pot odds. So, for example, say you get to the river and your opponent bets 20% pot. The way you figure out how often you need to win is you take the bet size, which is 0.2, and divide that by what the total pot will be after you call. So it'll be the pot size, a uh, one, one pot size, because that's the pot, plus your opponent's 0.2, plus your 0.2. So you do 0.2 divided by 1.4, which means you need to win one-seventh of the time when your opponent makes that 0.2 bet. So do we think we're going to win one-seventh of the time versus our particular opponent if you have a hand like bottom pair? Well, that's up for you to determine. Sometimes you will, sometimes you won't. It depends on the way the board runs out. But understand that you can think you're beat, right? You can think you have the best hand 30 percent of the time, which is not very often at all, but still have a really easy call on the river. So do not think that you have to call on the river every single time or don't think you only have to call whenever you think you have the best hand. You want to look at the pot odds and go from there. And often, you're going to find that if you situate your ranges correctly on the previous streets, you'll have a pretty good amount of marginal made hands that are very very easy to call with, especially when your opponents are not betting huge on the river. Because quite often you need to win like 20% of the time on the river, and very often hands like middle pair or top pair bad kicker will win 20% of the time. Um, however, if you do something like you bet the flop and you bet the turn with all of your strong hands every single time, well, when you get to the river in a passive manner, usually you're going to have stuff like bottom pair and worse, and that's not going to work out too well for you because you're going to have to fold too often. Or you're forced making a somewhat big call with something like bottom pair, which is not really what you want to do. When you're value betting versus weak opponents on the river, you often want to bet an amount that they can conceivably call. However, you don't want to take that too far and bet tiny because you do want to make sure you get value. If you arrive on the river... And let's say you have the nut flush, and you think that your opponent either has a busted straight draw, a flush, or a set. You think for whatever reason they don't, they cannot have very many top pairs and middle pairs based on the way the hand played out. 
Or you think that if they do have top pair or middle pair, they will just fold if you make any bet because they fear the obvious flush of the K-man. In that scenario, you should very often bet very large, perhaps you know huge, three times the size of the pot, two times the size of the pot, because no one's ever folding a flush and no one's folding a set. I mean, maybe they'll fold a set, but no one's ever folding a flush. So that's the scenario where you can often bet very big. Alternatively, say you do have the flush in the same scenario and you think your opponent can just never have the flush based on the way the hand played out. Let's say, for example, they raise pre-flop, you called, and you flop a flush draw. They bet the flop, you call. They bet the turn, you call. You get there on the river when the flush comes and they check. That's a spot where they can almost never have a flush. So in that scenario, you should often not bet very big versus amateur players because they're going to fold every single time if you bet big. Whereas if you bet smaller, probably you know half pot or less, they're going to call you every time with their top and middle pairs because they have top pair and you're betting somewhat small. So that's how you want to be thinking against most amateur players. As you start playing against better players, you're going to want to have a balanced river betting strategy, but that's not discussed too incredibly much in the book. Um, we discussed that a decent amount over at pokercoaching.com. There we have a lot of interactive hand quizzes and webinars discussing how to balance your range and think about how to play or thinking about how to play versus strong opponents. Um, another concept that comes up in small six tournaments a lot is not putting your opponent all in. So a lot of amateur players really, really, really don't want to go broke. And if they don't want to go broke and you're trying to extract value from your opponent because you have what you think is the best made hand, you can very often bet an amount that is large, but still not an amount that's all in. You can leave them with something like eight or 10 big blinds, which is not a lot, but a lot of amateur players will look at that and think, well, okay, if I lose them still in the tournament and they'll call in that scenario. Whereas if you put them all in, maybe they'll fold. So you can often put them all in when you're bluffing and you can bet small when you're value betting. And clearly if you can use that strategy to your advantage, you will just crush your opponents because you can lead them to making whatever play you want them to make. Uh, When you bet the river and you get raised, In small stakes games, I would strongly suggest you just fold unless you have a really good hand. I do not think that very many small stakes players are bluffing, at least at this point, on the river whenever whenever you bet and they raise you. And you have to understand, a lot of people on the river play very straightforwardly. They do not value bet nearly enough, and they do not bluff nearly enough. They just play a really passive river strategy. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier about how it's relatively easy to learn preflop strategy because there are only so many spots to come up. But on the river... It's somewhat difficult because there are a ton of situations and also on the river, the amounts that you are betting and playing for are very large. And a lot of people get passive when they're playing for all the money. So anyway, a lot of people on the river, whenever you bet and they raise you, they just, they're going to show you the nuts every time. So do not get tricked into thinking that, you know, if you bet something like top pair three times, top pair, top kicker, like ace, king, say it comes king, seven, three. King seven three nine four. You bet the flop, you bet the turn, you bet the river, and then your opponent raises you on the river. You got a pretty easy fold versus the majority of small stakes players. Um, if your opponent's very aggressive, of course, that goes out the window, but it's up for you to determine what your opponents are doing right or wrong. So that's going to be it for today. I want to thank you again for being part of this book club. I hope you're enjoying it. If you want to ask me any questions on Twitter, definitely do that at Jonathan Little, and I will be back next time. All right, so section three, chapter seven and eight. This is we're talking now about still playing deep stack, but now we're talking about the turn and the river. So for me, some of the things that, that I guess resonated uh, regarding check raising the turn, uh, he says it should be rare um, and maybe only done when we think the opponent is strong, but we're stronger. Uh, the turn can be a very difficult spot. And for me, it was a reminder of the importance of position, <laughs> position, position, position. Um, I thought it was super interesting talking about river bet sizes. Um, like, how, what, what's your sizing? Like, you know, depending on if you want somebody to call, you want somebody to fold. How do your opponents interpret your river bet sizes? All that stuff was interesting to me. And then something, if we have time to talk about, just this idea of blocking bets. We talked about it briefly in one of the other episodes. And I just, I never use blocking bets. I never, ever think about putting a bet out there because I think it's going to be less than my opponent might bet or something like that. So that was interesting to me just to kind of hear his perspective on that. Yeah, I don't know. That was sort of interesting to start with blocking bet because, uh, you know, in our very aggressive tournaments, you're always going to get re-raised is what I thought on that. So he says, don't use against good players. Well, okay, let's not use it because there's good players at the table. But, uh, 
you know, there's a lot of, you know, I left those comments on bluffing on the river's a bad idea, you know, and usually. So what what I found was interesting was he's talking about resizing and he's he's talking about doing a consistent, you know, half the pot or three quarters of the pot and we went through the but if you sort of do that math in these tournaments, and we, we, Steve and I were talking a little bit, you get to the middle part of the tournament and the average stack is somewhere around 40 blinds and you bet uh, a half a pot into a, a pre-flop pot. Well, that pot's already got 20 blinds in it, so you're putting 10, <coughs> 10 big blinds into it. If you do that again, you're, you know, you're putting another 10 to 20 big blinds. Very quickly in these tournaments now, we're seeing that you're putting, if you followed that bet sizing, we would be putting almost our whole stack in every time we're playing a hand, if, if we're continuing in the hand, you know. So that, I, that's, I have a little trouble because I'm not playing 200 plus big blind tournaments enough. Uh, for me, one of the things that I think is just interesting to talk about is, is the idea of on the river calling and calling when you think you're beat and using pot odds to justify the call. And he was talking about too, um, the benefit of seeing another opponent's hand, seeing the opponent's hand and seeing what they've got. Just that whole idea of, of calling on the river when you think it's likely that you're beat. And I just, maybe something we can talk about some more because I think it's really interesting. I like the, the, the startup, you know, the bet when they check concept of not just whether you have it or not, just that being aggressive idea. The blocking bet is something I actually felt like I would do all the time, and I didn't think it was that bad, but now listening, so I'm going to be more paying closer attention to if it's working or not or not working. I was thinking it was working most of the time that I, when I do that kind of thing, so we'll see. Maybe it's just because of the groups that I play with or whatever, so um, the, when, the concept whenever you raise, think about what your opponent can call. And if it's not much, you know, shy away from raising. So just thinking ahead, not just I want to raise because I want to get more in there, but is it going to get me anything more? Or is it going to get them to fold? Or what are they going to call with? Or what do I need to raise to get them to fold? If that's what I want them to do is fold rather than build the pot. And then um, just the concept of getting players to bluff into you as being one of the most profitable situations mm -hmm. to be in and how to how to work that in because I don't feel like I'm doing that at all or know what I'm supposed to do to get that to work. But that sounds like a, a good um, thing to work on or to focus on. Mm -hmm. All right, some of the things that <clears throat> I've already incorporated into my game, which I never really consciously thought of before, is betting on the river. You know, when you bet on the river, <clears throat> what are you betting for? You can't bet on the river on, unless you know for a fact that you have this guy beat, right? You can only bet for value when you know you have him beat because what the heck are you going to do when he comes over the top? Of you? you know, value betting on the river. And I never thought of value betting as much as I just said, well, I got a big hand, I'm going to bet. Mm -hmm. And no, what can he call you with? So there's times where I have a big hand. I might have a top pair hand, and I won't bet the river because all he's going to do is fold if he doesn't have it, and if he's got me beat, he's going to come over the top of me, and I just wasted a bet. Um, I just, I actually, uh, basically second, is just the reminder of thinking about what you're betting and why you're betting. Are they going to actually, do, can they come up here with a second place hand to you, you know what I mean, call? Or are you just inducing either a big bluff that you don't want to have to now call? Um, so just kind of being smart about when you do that. And then I also just wrote down that, a reminder that with weaker draws, play more passively because you have to get folds more often to show a profit. And I just think that's a, he talked a lot about in seven about the different types of draws. And I guess I don't normally like qualify my draws as weak or strong. You know, I, I'm on a drawing hand and I'm floating or I'm doing whatever. So I thought it was a kind of a smart concept to think about actually qualifying, you know, your draw, whether it's weak or strong or whatnot. And obviously then, like he said, play more passively to show profit. So. Um, for me, and I think it's it's been echoed already, um, is understanding how you're, what you're trying to accomplish on the on the turn and river with your bet sizing, and what your opponent can come along with, or what options are available to your opponent based on your your bet sizing, 
and what you're trying to accomplish. If you're trying to get to the river, how do you manage that on the turn? When you get to the river, are you trying to get them to fold or are you trying to get them to, to, to pay you off? And so understanding what those, what the bet sizing is going to be for you uh, with those things is probably the biggest thing to take out of these two sections. Uh, I think it's already been said, but for me, two of the biggest <coughs> things were um, punishing weakness. So if they check to you, bet. And I probably don't do that often enough. Also, for your river bets, being more, particularly if you have a strong hand and you want to call, be more cognizant of betting an amount that they can call. Whereas I tend to bet, if a pot size bet mm -hmm. will put them all in, I tend to do that, forgetting that people value their tournament life and they're much more likely to call, put in half their stack than they are the whole stack. Mm -hmm. So. Those are a couple of concepts. I'm just going to kind of be echoing a lot of what people are saying, but it, the concept of having a reason to bet and kind of following through on that is a big thing. I think it comes back to keeping decisions simple. Um, so I think I started off the first discussion by saying you have to have a reason to be betting. You can't just bet because you think you're ahead. I think that is very, very important on the river because there's no more cards to come. So that, that was a big piece for me. And then I think just the keeping your decisions simple. Like it, it makes your whole game much more easier if you're having simple decisions and you're feeling confident about the decisions that you're making. Okay, so obviously a lot there, a lot there about knowing why you bet and how much to bet. And I think that's always a question, something for my game is, you know, what, <coughs> what am I doing here? Why am I betting? And I think you still hear that quite a bit, well, I had a good hand, so I bet. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, as I've talked to people, too, it's like, well, are you betting for value? Or are you betting, why, why are you betting? I think sometimes you don't even really know why you're betting. So talk about that a little bit more. Like, what what are the reasons why you bet? And at what point do you do you make the decision that I'm not going to bet because there's not enough that, you know, because if you're betting for value, you're basically saying, I think there are hands that are worse than the mine that will call me. Mm -hmm. But obviously there's always the risk that somebody's slow playing a monster, so you always have that risk of being re-raised. And so how do you face that trade-off of going, when is it enough to value bet versus the risk of being re-raised and you know, not wanting to live with skeletons always you know, in your closet waiting to jump out at you, you know, out of fear that somebody's going to re-raise you? So okay, how, do you, how do you guys balance that when you think, okay, I've got a pretty good hand here. I yeah. think there's enough to call me, but yet... You have to think ahead. I mean, you have to, like sit there and go in your head, okay, could this opponent raise me, and what would they be raising me with, and how am I going to react to that raise? And if you have top pair, and you go, okay, if this person raises me, I have to fold because I don't know what they have, you know, that's when the check is probably the better option. It, you, you're just going to put yourself in a bad spot if you go, I think my top pair is good, but if they raise me, I have to fold. You're just like setting yourself up for failure. Whereas if you check and you take down a smaller pot because you were right, you still get to scoop that pot. You're not opening yourself up to failure. But do, does it become mathematical at some point or, or the principle of it? Like, let's say, okay, I know there's a 10% chance he could re-raise me here. Whatever, just say you have mm -hmm. a number in your mind or whatever. But yet you know that he's going to call you with any queen. You know, any of his queen combinations are going to call you and you have a, you know, kings or something. <clears throat> So it seems like there's a trade out there. Like, yeah, I, I get that. It's maybe do you want to play higher higher variance or lower variance? So you could say I, I know I'm going to, but I feel like sometimes I'm, I lose a lot of value because I do check down a lot of rivers where I think I'm losing value because of that fear of being re-raised. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you trade that off if you do think you've got some worse hands that might call you? A lot of it, I think, plays into how had the hand gone prior to this. Like, say you have top pair of kings and there's a queen out there as well and you think they might have a queen like how many streets of value are you going to get from your opponent if you bet the flop bet the turn and bet the river are they going to call you each and every street probably not with, with without just a top queen. pair yeah like because they have to put you on something better than that to if you're firing three streets if you fired the flop and then check the turn and you kind of give this like impression that I might not have a queen, then you might be able to get another street of value from an opponent having a queen. So you have to kind of like balance that out in your head, figure out, okay, what am I actually representing with all my aggression prior to this and right now? 
and how is my opponent going to react to that? Okay. So, so it might be more of the pessimistic view versus the optimistic view. I'm looking at, I got top pair with the kings. I want to bet because I want them to fold now before they, they might have an ace, and an ace comes up and I'm going to end up folding later. I feel like I'm ahead now. I want to win it now while I feel comfortable. And that worry of if something else comes up, I might get scared away. So there's kind of two, there's betting for value and there's betting for protection. Mm -hmm. And you guys can help me clarify that. But betting for value is really thinking, I'm going to bet here because I think a lot of worse hands are going to call me. And then there's betting for protection, which is really saying, I'm going to bet here because I don't want a scare card to come and somehow lose this pot. And they're two very different and things. And so how do you, you know, what are you doing when you have, when you have king 10, you know, on a, on a king jack 7 board, or king jack 7 2 board, and you bet. I mean, are, are, you know, I know it's each each situation depends, but are you betting for value? Well, I think because you're going to call for jacks, is, or are you betting for protection, or are you doing both? I think this is where it backs up, and you, we've already kind of, you know, this book's very chronological, and so we're doing things before we get to the turn and river to make those decisions easier for us, mm -hmm. right? So in a situation of your king, jack, seven, deuce, on the turn, we're probably checking the turn, right? Because we have top pair with kind of a crap kicker, so we're probably going to execute pot control. And you've already bet the flop and they call and right. assume. Right, we've already yep. assumed, right, we assume, we're going to assume a few things, that we're following his instructions, and that we're, we raised it in position pre-flop. The flop came and it was checked to us, and we, continuation, bet and got called. The turn comes, they check to us, now we execute pot control. Our decision is already made for the river, that we're just going to either check behind or we're going to uh, call a, a bet, right? Or, well, we might or we might bet for value right. based on what kind of what kind of comes. One more street, right? one more bet. Right. There might be one yeah. more bet on on the river, kind of based on what we think of their hand right. strength and and on all of that type of stuff. So a lot of this betting on the river or, or even betting on the turn is all kind of predicated on everything that was set up ahead of time. And so the the things that you can do early on in the in the hand to make your decisions easier later on. You're not having to try and just, what do I do in this position when I'm sitting on the river and I've got king 10 and it's king jack seven deuce four, right? And now I, I feel like I'm trying to get value because I have top pair and what, what do I do? Well, how did you play it previous to that before you got there? How, how you played it previous is really going to predicate what you're going to do in, in that spot. Is that part of your point, Taylor, a little bit with, with how things played out? Like if they have a jack, they might call the flop bet, but they, they're probably not going to call a turn bet yeah. also. Yep. Yep. So that's, that's where you're yeah. kind of to John's point weeks ago you're kind of checking for value there in a sense of so if you bet there really you'd be betting for protection and you're probably going to blow them off or all of their worse hands potentially i mean bet and sure. lose to all their better ones well, right. and, that, so and that's like, just that's just it oftentimes <clears throat> you're you know your your actions before specifically getting to the river right when when you get to the river the, everything that happened prior to the hand is really going to help you dictate what you do, whether you're going to bet or you're going to check behind, because there's value in seeing what their hand is if you check behind and you have a better or worse hand, doesn't really matter. There's value in seeing what those cards are so that next time you're in a, a hand with them, you kind of know how they're expecting to play it. Um, so there's there's val value in that. I think that if you, if you proceed in such a manner on pre-flop and the flop and then the turn, in a way that you're thinking about how the river is going to play out and what your actions are going to be, you don't have to ever question what am I supposed to do on the river? Am I supposed yeah. to value that here? Am I betting for well? There's no protection necessary anymore because there's no more cards to come. So either on the on the river, you're either betting for value or you're right. betting to get your opponent to fold. Right. That's really it. And then what John had said at the beginning of this, talking about, you know, I, I used to just bet enough to, to put my opponent all in. Well, your opponent's really only going to call you on an all-in if you're beat. Yeah. Period. Mm -hmm. I mean, very rarely is, I mean, it does happen, but for the most part, people aren't going to call off with a weak hand mm -hmm. when it's all of their chips. They're just, they're just mm -hmm. not going to. So to find out if you're you know, behind or not, or that it's a big enough that they would risk all their chips, you can bet a lot smaller and, and they can 
raise and, and give you that information that way. So on the river, I usually bet my flush draws. So you're saying that's a mistake to bet my flush draws on no. the Be conscious of what you're inducing when mm -hmm. you're betting. That's sort of the concept of thinking about do you want them to call you or not, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, but if and if you're not sure that you want them to call, there's no problem checking. Checking, yeah. yeah. Because like I said, you're it's still you're still getting value if you check there. Number one, you're getting the pot if you have the best hand. Number two, if you don't have the best hand, you're getting the value of the information of seeing how they played that pot. Right. And I think you had mentioned too, is there a mathematical equation to, to playing a high enough, you know, are you maximizing value? Well, in a tournament, I don't know that mm -hmm. you're, in a cash game, yeah, you should maximize every possible EV tactic. or whatever. Yeah. But in a tournament, I, like we said earlier, you can give up on a little bit of plus EV just and not make that play because it's a tournament. And I, I think I personally do struggle with um, being a little too risk averse, and so I, to your credit about, is there a mathematical equation to it or what? Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know, but finding that like line is difficult. Am I getting enough value out of some of these bigger hands versus being a little risk averse and just taking the pot now because, and then telling myself, well, it's a tournament, mm -hmm. and right. that I'm, I'm surviving. I'm happy just taking this pot. You know what I mean? But how much? Are you leaving a lot on the table then? Yeah. My new line at the tournament is always, I just say, this is the worst just call ever. <laughs> like, I was with Kyle Baker, I said, you watch this guy, this is the worst just call ever, where I just called with like a straight or something. Yeah. Part of that, because of that. because Well, of the, there's a flush on the board and you got versus... a straight. It was a perfect move, tough... right? So... I don't know, it's tough to know, you know what I mean? If you're, if you're being aggressive, if you're being aggressive yourself enough in allowing the variance to right. kind of come into play. But then I watch, you know, you watch, sorry, you know, you watch some of these, whether it's on TV or I'll watch like a Luke Mernon or some of these guys and I'll be at the table with them. They, they just, they get so much value out of their hands. Mm -hmm. I see them value at the river and of course they're not always right or whatever, but I just like, how do you extract another bet out of that? I, you know, cause they just know, I mean, they, they've thought it through, they have the logic or whatever and there's like. They're betting, you know, second pair for value. Yeah. It's like insane, insane, and they get called, you know, like, well, you know. So that's the kind of thing where it's like, I feel like I'm losing value on the table. But to your point, it's a trade-off for me. It's the survival, the risk-reward. It's a sharp ratio for all your investment folks. <laughs> well, and they're they've ranged you better. They've paid more attention and they're more alert to these things, and they know they're ahead with their second pair. Yeah, I know. Okay, it's, it's crazy. And, <laughs> and I'm not at that level when I get to the river with the second pair against one of the best players in the state, right. whether I'm ahead or not. I'm yeah. having a lot of trouble with that. You know, so. Yeah, and that's part of knowing the player, too. Like, no one, especially yeah, against some good players, I'll just check down more often. Yeah, and, and so, yeah. you know, it's like he counsels us to be aggressive, and he gives us all this what to bet and how to bet and what size to bet and where and what position. But then later on, he's saying, wait a second, pot control, save your stack, do some other things. So it's a balancing yeah. equation. And so one of the things I find that there's an awful lot of very, very aggressive players in some of these fast tournaments, right? So you just go to ultra conservative. You never bet when you have the best hand, right? You check raise them to death you know you do, do whatever you know that bet's coming it might be two three bets before it comes on your flop straight you know jam it in then you know but if you jam early they'll fold 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 because you've never played a hand right you know so it's it's all balance right brian how do you uh how do you determine if you're going to bet or not there what's a you're a fairly aggressive player so i'm kind of curious like do you go through that Oh yeah, nobody. <laughs> yeah, I don't know which Brian. Back when Brian Sojo, who just changed his voice a little yeah. bit. But no, I mean, how do you? That's how, how do you determine? I mean, it, it is depends it conscious? on who you're playing against. Oh. I mean, whenever I go to a table, you know, if I don't know who they are, I lay back a little bit until I figure out something on them. I mean, some of the fast terms you don't get that opportunity as, as much. But you know, I I play more conservative when I don't know the people. I play. Mm -hmm more aggressive when I do know the people, regardless how they're playing, you know, because I got a better understanding of what they're going to do. And I try to mix it up, but, you know, sometimes you make bad mistakes, you get called, mm -hmm. you get caught, it's going to happen. But like you said, if, you, if you're not making those kind of mistakes, you're not going to be a good player. Right. I'm not exactly nearly as aggressive as, as most people, you know, 
They yeah. probably don't right. do a lot of things, you know, blocking bets and things, you know, floating as much as I should. But so when you're making the decision to bet, and for I mean, if you are for the group, but you're making the decision to bet. Is it a real? Yeah, you I find mean, yourself it really depends on say, really my hands, the cards, the people I'm up against. Because yeah. you know, I'd like to think I think through all that stuff, but push comes to shove. Sometimes I'm just betting and like, what am I? Oh, it's just more fun like, to bet. I'd oh. like to say the instinct and it's all these when, years of experience, but when, sometimes I feel like I'm just betting because I don't, I can't stop myself. And sometimes, <laughs> and I, well, I'm, I'm being honest. Well, I think some people, and sometimes everybody does that. Mm -hmm. right? you, it, it, when you're playing your best, you're thinking about all these yeah. kind of things, and you're taking the time to do right. that, not making just really rash decisions. I like to make quick decisions, but mm -hmm. not really quick. You know, so grounded. Take time to think yeah. about it. I mean, yeah. put it through your head. I mean, some people, if you're not good at Multitasking. I mean, sometimes the tournament aspect of it isn't as good for you because mm -hmm. it becomes more difficult. Yeah. You know? but don't you think when you're when you're making that bet and you're thinking, oh, I'm just I'm making the bet, you're you're probably are thinking more than I mean, you've even if you're sub I don't know if it's subconscious, yeah. but you're making that bet. But more than likely, even though it feels like oh, I'm I'm just I'm just making a bet here. Hopefully, if you've been playing long enough, you're you've absorbed some things where you know, hey, this guy's done something that gave me the impression each week mm -hmm. or I mean a lot of that stuff hopefully some of that stuff comes without having to think of sit down and think for you know for 10 right. seconds or 20 right. seconds what am I going to do here because you don't have that much time hopefully some of that's coming to you where you're where you're over experience you're going to hopefully make more of the right plays just based mm -hmm. on your experience even though sometimes it feels like you're just yeah, I think, I, think so, I think you're right I think sometimes that is just you know just kind of know this is kind of what you do but there are other times where I'll be Going home, or I'll be thinking like, what was I, what was I trying yeah. to do there? Like, like, what would even be the right? But, you but know, you, I mean, so sometimes you, yes, you gotta make no. mistakes to get better. Oh sure, everybody, sure, that's right. But I'd like to least think I'm thinking about you. Like, you gotta <laughs> think ahead. I mean, I'm always thinking ahead, and then you're changing as yeah. the flop comes or whatever, and who stays in and who goes out. Yeah. You're not continuously thinking about that stuff, and you're just thinking one goal. Oh, barrel, barrel, barrel. <laughs> I mean, it's not gonna work. Right, you're gonna yeah. lose your chips eventually, even if you're getting super lucky. Yeah. Uh, sometimes not. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I do need to think more, think forward more. I mean, you wonder why the best players are the best players because, you know, they do. And you got to play a lot. I mean, yeah. if you're not playing a lot to face these situations, you're not gonna have the opportunity to get mm -hmm. a lot better. Anything else about making decisions on betting or not? Why you bet? But also, then we can shift to bet sizing too, which is I think another. Interesting topic. Yeah, we touched always, on some. Yeah, he had a comment in here about not putting your opponent all in, like John was talking mm -hmm. about. Um, betting, betting an amount that they can call mm -hmm. without risking their tournament life, and that, that's how you're going to get value on the river. Mm -hmm. I saw I just yesterday in my league that I was in yesterday. I saw the guy ended up getting value, but he did it poorly. It's just that the <laughs> other guy was even worse. <laughs> That's what I like. <laughs> can I get to that term? Yeah. <laughs> he uh, he got the nut flush on the river, and there was a, it was the flop was I think queen jack ten. And it was obvious the other guy had the ace king, mm -hmm. and he had ace queen of clubs, and the club hit the river. He just went all in. Oh, yeah. And the guy was so bad that he didn't even realize that there was a flush out there, okay. and that he was being he was crushed. All he saw was oh I got the problem. I got the nuts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I was. Maybe he did it knowing this opponent, mm -hmm. but I thought both plays were really bad <laughs> from yeah. the standpoint of how, yeah. how would you normally get value if you were in a tournament with that hand. You would probably, at that point in time, because you know what he has, you would probably check, let him bet, and then get value that way. Because if you bet into him when there's a flush on the board, is he going to call? That's so risky, though. I, I don't know. I would. I don't but know if I could check there. I'd be. Here. I'd be so worried that it's gonna go check check. I would check behind if I did. Because if I know he's got ace king, don't you think mm -hmm. he's gonna call a reasonable bet? A reasonable bet. That's the key. He oh. went all in. Yeah. Oh no, no, I agree with that. But so what yeah. if I check? Don't you he think he could either check or behind? or make a maybe half a half a pot bet or maybe a three quarter pot bet yeah. to make it enticing. Right. To make it look like you're trying to steal because yeah. there's a scare card out there. Yeah. But what he did is he jammed, and I'm going. Whoa. Yeah, I don't agree with the well, jam. He jammed. I'm yeah. going. Well, he's got to have the flush, and that's mm -hmm. the first thing I thought of. And this guy over here calls. <laughs> Snap calls. <laughs> yeah, calls. Well, well you have to have ace king. <laughs> that's the key as well. I mean, not only to make a bet size they can call, 
but a bet size they can call with a worse hand. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Correct. Because yeah. well, he yeah, had the nuts, so anything. Well, right. In, in that hand. particular example, yeah. but a lot of times right. you want to get value even when you don't have the nuts. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you need to make sure that you're making a call that over time is going to get you value from worse hands. Was this hand not on the just flop? Losing he went the better ones. No, this was on the river. Oh, okay. He rivered, I thought you he rivered the, on the flop. No, he rivered like... the flop. He rivered the nut flush. Yeah. So when you think about, John, when you think about like extracting value on a non-nutted hand, like so do you, are you going through the process of going, boy, I think a lot of his range here is second pair, third pair, and so do you, do you kind of consciously say, you know, what, what do I think he'll call with the jack? Or is it, is it, what's your process of going, what's my bet size here to extract value? Well, I have a mathematical formula. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I wish I did. Um, <laughs> You know, I don't know that I actually. It's just think, like a feel, kind of like. I think it's more feel than anything, but it it's. I at least recognize that's what I should be doing. Whether or not Ooh, I do do right, that right. is a completely different question. But you just try to look at it, and sometimes I'll make really small river bets mm-hmm. with a fairly weak hand. Right. But I'm fairly certain they don't have a better one. Like they're just sitting on a naked ace king or ace queen, mm-hmm. and I think they'll call it. And every chip helps in a tournament. Right. And if I'm confident enough in that read, I'll try doing that. Mm-hmm. And it has to be the type of person who's not going to... Come back over the top. Right, exactly. <laughs> who's not going to abuse that. So do it to someone like Soja. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I always fold. That's all I do. I never play a hand. I fold every time. You know, these this doesn't get really complicated. I was just in the hand over days uh, two Fridays ago, and we got heads up by the turn. Everybody had folded, and we'd both on the turn gotten to Broadway, <laughs> and there was two clubs and two hearts on the board, and I had ace king hearts. So, so he puts in a reasonable sized bet at me. I think about it for a long time. It says ninety percent of the time we're probably chopping this. We got to Broadway. Neither one of us says, and but he had made a really big fold to me earlier in the tournament. So I thought I said, and I had like five hundred more chips than he did, and he knew that. I mean, he was a real smart. He was his regular and everything. I thought, I wonder if I just jam here, whether he'll go away. You know, I said, I could lose to the clubs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I. I other than that, it's either chop or I win, you know. So, I mean, he could be chasing a boat, but I don't think he's calling an all-in on a chase of a boat behind Broadway. So, so I jam, and he tanked for a really, really long time and called, and they debated that at the table for the next hour after that. I didn't, and he didn't. <laughs> you know, I thought it was I did as good on that hand as I could. What do you think? We both had Broadway. I think you put it. We both had Broadway. You didn't know he had Broadway. I didn't know yet, but I was. I was very confident. But you had the nuts. Did you have the nuts? No, I had Broadway with four heart flush draw, and we had the river. So if you had Broadway, was the nuts though. You had Broadway at that moment was the nuts. Yeah. Okay. So you've got the nut. You've got the nuts with the nut draw. You're pretty sure your opponent also has the same nut draw. If you think your opponent's going to call the all in, then get it all in right there because the worst case scenario, you chop. Well, he could have hit the club one out of six times. Okay, if he has the club, all that's that's fine too because you both want to get it all in. Both of you want to get it all. in. Well, worst case is if he's got the other guy's got two pair and he has a boat. I mean, there's yeah. Now, now that's what I was saying. You're gonna win so much more often. I'm not disagreeing with the show. I'm just saying there are worst cases. He's putting pressure on him. I mean, there's some there is folding. There was fold equity. I said I really wanted the fold. That's my question. I don't think you wanted the fold. So that's the question. That's why, that's, that's why I, I asked the question. If you yeah, think that, he's going to call, correct. then fold. That's correct. why I started that. Right. If right. you think he's right. going to fold, right. then, then you, bet then you don't smaller. want to chop. You bet yeah. something small. Because yeah. what if he doesn't have the same hand, Broadway, and the river's a complete blank, you still want to get value out of your nuts. Right. Was it a massive pot already? 
No. Is there something no, going on? Uh, it wasn't massive up to them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> until I jammed. We had four people come in on like a three blind bet, or it was a little bigger than that because the, the table was a little more aggressive. So four people came in on maybe a six blind bet. There was you know, 24 blinds out there, but we each had 40 blind stacks. So. So when I jammed, I was jamming a pot's worth. Of, it was a pot bet, is what it was yeah. actually. So, uh, and I just thought it was reasonable at that point in that tournament to risk my tournament life on that hand. Well, you're not risking your tournament team. life with a low risk. The, the only, the only. Well, you know, you're risking. It could have lost. No, it could have lost a lot. Oh, yeah, club flush yeah. and any boat. If, if, yeah. you if, had you're, if you're thinking about pairs. risking your tournament life when you've got the. Dead nuts in your hand, then you're then I'm not one card to come. I'll take yeah. money in there. I'll, put, I'll push every cent I have in there. Okay. Well, as I think just from the scenario you described, it, it's kind of funny and not to contradict the idea of check raising the river, but I, I put a note down about how Jonathan reasoned for not check raising the river when you do have pretty strong holdings. I don't think he necessarily said the nuts, but just mm -hmm. where you're reasonably sure you're ahead after you bet the flop and the turn to a call. And I thought his reasons for it made a lot of sense. And I don't know that, it, I don't know how many of you guys check raise rivers with big hands anyway, because you all, always are nervous the other person's just gonna check back and you get nothing out of it. And that was his, you know, his main reason. But I thought the other two reasons he named were pretty interesting. Just that if, uh, if you check and he does raise, he likely would have just called your raise. So now you've mm -hmm. allowed, and then when you raise, he folds. So now you've allowed that person to dictate the pot size that they're, you know, the amount they're going to bet where you could raise larger and probably have got a call. I thought that was a pretty smart idea and also that you miss money when you bet and he re-raises and now you re-raise and get called, you, you potentially lose quite a big pot that could have brewed if you had to just bet out and that person re-raises you by chance, you know. Mm -hmm. Now you've lost that bet and or if you re-raise and they still call it, call that too. So anyways, I thought those were some pretty good reasons for just taking the check raise on the river out of the yeah. arsenal when you've got a big hand. Just lead out. Mm -hmm. Just lead out. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's kind of a... It's not necessarily an ironclad 100%. No, but, but I, I like to see the, the Those three reasons make sense. It's safe. There's a, there's a kind of a hard and fast rule in, in poker, well, and that that is, if someone who hasn't been aggressive until the river, all of a sudden comes mm -hmm. out firing on the river, they've got it. Uh, not like a snapshot like I talked about before, where it's a clear that they probably have a flush on missed it, but you know it's a it's kind of a, a straightforward board, and you, you're sitting there with top pair, top kicker, or two, whatever it is. And you have position on them. They've just been kind of calling all the way down, and all of a sudden now they 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 bet the the river, and it's a reasonable bet, like three quarters of the pot or something like that. You're probably be, because what else would they be? What else would they be kind of making a reasonable bet with? <laughs> They're going to be betting for the same reasons that you are, right? Which is either a to extract value, mm -hmm. or b to get your opponent to fold a better hand. All right, <clears throat> well. If they have a good hand, and they've just been calling, kind of setting the, the trap, well, now they're firing out because they don't want to lose value on that hand, or they have complete air. Well, if it wasn't a draw-heavy board to begin with, they're not firing out on a missed draw because yeah. there was no draws to begin with. So what are they left with? A big hand mm -hmm. that they're trying to extract value on. Yeah, he mentions that in <clears throat> I think there was a time where you were wondering what he... Oh, about the pair of kings. Yeah, like if you have a pair of kings, and by the time you get to the river, your opponent goes oh, all in or something right. like that. And they, 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 they probably got two pair or better, so you just throw your hand away and move on. But Yeah. And that's that's I, that's something, and I, I've seen that more... I, I, remember, I remember actually who said it to me, when they said it to me. I remember where we were, because I had never really kind of thought about that. And I, I a hand had just happened where... Um, I, I thought the whole way that I was super good. Like, I never once thought that I was in bad position. And then all of a sudden, they fired the river. And I, I was just like, what? It, it made no sense at all to me. And so then, because it didn't make sense, I'm like, oh, well, they've got to be perfect. And so I called, and no, they had me just completely destroyed. And I, I looked over, and, and I'm like, and, and someone I, I've known for a long time in respect, and I'm just like, and he's like, no, if, if they're leading out on it, they, they, they have it. I mean, look at that board. Yeah. There's no draws. There's no nothing. They clearly had you beat. I would have folded that every time. And it wasn't like, 
or it wasn't top pair. It was it was something stronger than just one pair. I, I, I can't remember if it was two pair top or two whatever it was. But he was like, you you were clearly beat there. I, he's like, unless you have the stone cold nuts, I mean, don't don't call. There's there's no reason for it. I don't know that I've ever checked raised a river in my life. I can't remember a time I've ever checked raised a river. Only well, there's you know, one person that used to play epic that I would check raise rivers with. But that that's it. There's only one person. Yeah. I would say situation. It's just one person yeah. that I would do that because I I know they're gonna bet every river. That's the yeah. only yeah. time. Is that yeah. just because you're you're afraid of losing value? No, because if back? I yes, that's probably yeah. more See? more. And that's just it. Most people afraid they don't want to yeah. lose their value. Why would and you, so if they're checking yeah. on the river, it's it's generally not to check raise. Right. Right. It's generally not. Yep. In rare instances, because I you don't, you, don't, you know, you can you can check raise the flop or you can check raise the turn. You can try to set check your trap yeah, because there's still cards yet to come. Mm -hmm. When the river comes, it's over, <laughs> right? So if you've got a big hand, you're like, I, I want to get value from it. I've made a big hand because it's how often yep. do you make a big hand? So people tend to lead out with that because they don't want to not <clears throat> get their value. Check raising on the river is, is very difficult to to pull to pull off. First off. So if you think you, you have, have the nuts and your first bet on the river, do you check raise them? If I if I've got a super strong hand, it really it really kind of depends on who I'm going against and how how the hand has played out. If I've got a big hand and I think that they're going to bet the river, I'm not going to bet it for them because if I bet, they can just call and I'm not going to get as much. No, no, give them a chance to bet it. I don't. I don't want to so back and have that So that's a situation where you check raise. That's Absolutely. I would only do that if I really felt like they had a really weak hand. Like if they had a, if I felt like they had a reasonably good hand, I would probably still lead into them. Just because if they've been betting the whole time, you've been calling. Mm -hmm. If they have a reasonably good hand, I would expect them just to check behind. But if I think they've just been betting with air or misdraw the whole time, then I do Then I'd be more. Then I'd be more likely to let them bet because because that's the only way. Because you're not going to get called. Correct. But but I think you're advocating for if you reasonably feel like they've got a pretty strong holding occasionally or, sneaking. Or just, yeah, just any time you feel that they're going to put out a bet when you have them beat, check it to them. Because you're not going to get the same value if you bet. You're just not. They're either going to fold or they're going to come over the top in such a fashion that now all of a sudden you have to have a super strong holding to, to get that value back. So... Just check it to them. I, I, on the river, I very, very infrequently, well, if I'm out of position, will I lead out? Very infrequently. The only way I will is if I think that they're, they're going to raise me when I know that I can either get them to fold to a three bet or they're going to call my three bet. That's it. That, that's the only reason for it. Because I'm not, not going to get, I'm not going to get, enough value over time by block betting. Just, I'm just not. The, the value on the river there comes from the check. I mean, in that specific hand, the, the, the value might be to block bet. But, more, but over time, you're, you're going to extract more value in those spots by checking than you are by leaping out. So you've done a lot of check raising on the river. I, I mean, I do it. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't do it every time, but just, yeah, do I do it? I usually, absolutely, freaking lootly. Maybe I'm just not getting good enough hands yeah. to be in that I mean, position. It's very rare for me to give up on a hand before all the well, cards that's are out. That's true. We're going to make a pact. It'll be like our bucket list. Okay. We'll start check raising. Check raising. Let's check raise the river. We'll let each other know when we check raise the river. I'll tweet you. And once in a while, you'll get into day one on one of these multi days, and a couple of these real aggressive guys will get it and four bet the river yeah. more than once in the tournament the same two guys will go oh, how do you decide where to fold here you know I mean, just, you both well, decided we're going to bash heads until they're well, bloody it's a level <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, I've seen two of the top state pros once and I, I was at the table and I was like this is a nightmare that we were all at the same table together and it went seven bets pre-flop sweet <laughs> love that <laughs> one of them had eight high <laughs> That's what I was seeing when I saw this happen. Don't don't try that at home. <laughs> but but there, there's there's something to be learned from that. They're just it, it, and it's amazing to, to, right. to see that and they were right. both right. <laughs> I mean, they both were just like spot on. And I actually kind of sat back and I'm like, 
do do either one of them have anything good, or are they both just firing away with crap? And we ended up getting to the rest, and we saw that they both had just crap. <laughs> the whole, like, the rest of the table's like, oh my god, and I'm just but, like, oh, that a lot sense. of times they do that because call. they don't care huh? if they he lose. Seven back they're going to re yeah. and you think they're just the loosest player ever. Yeah. And when they do get in a situation where they get chips, guess what? It's yeah. not going to happen that way. Now, <laughs> now you know they're, they're capable of it, though. That's just sort of that. Now you know that they're capable of doing this. But, when but, I have, you but know, they're queens. capable of the thing you got to remember, too, is they're capable of doing it at the right time. True. Right. Absolutely. Do, they're not going to do it at the long time. And yeah, they're not doing players, a heads up at the final table for yeah, the no, good players. Yeah. Once they get chips, I mean, they're only going to be all in if they typically have. But the if best they four bet me, I have queens. I'm going to at least know they're capable of doing that light. Yeah, they're so capable like, of it. You know, and, and so they they know that you know that they're capable of it. Right. So then, <laughs> when they aces or whatever, yeah. You're, you know? yep. Well, I was if wondering. they're that good, my queen's so, but, going all in with them, and I'm just like... <laughs> well, right. But, but you had asked if I check-raise a lot on the river, and it's not want. that I necessarily yeah. check-raise a lot on the river, <laughs> but I check-call with the best hand to get Do the it best. Up, that's the because it's, because it's... Check-call a yeah, that's, lot. It's, it's, I check-call yeah. a lot on the river. That's pop control. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's also bluff-catching. Sure. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. You know, that's, if, if your opponent has air... What good does it do you to, to bet? Yeah. Right. If you were right. gonna you were gonna you were gonna win the pot regardless. Right. Right. If they have air, you're winning whether you bet or maybe you check. that maybe that's why I'm not check raising a lot is because I'm checking to yeah. maybe hopefully induce them to For sure. get I'll in. Check call. I'll yeah. check call, check call, yeah. check call all day long. All day long, you promise. Well, I won't. Yeah. That's a full day for me. I don't want to I'll be doing it all night long. Here we go. The call station, guys. Right. Can I just be the TD tonight? Yes. That's binding. No, but if you guys show it on value, you need to check call all day long. Well, I know. I'm playing totally different. Well, and we're encountering that a little bit more. And I think there's a certain hyper-aggressiveness there. At the World Series of Poker, there was a commentary at some point along the amount of maniac play that was going on where people are either just almost going all in pre-flop at low blind levels through the whole tournament you know until they're gone you know and the problem is is you're calling off in tournaments anyways you got, you got to risk your tournament life to get the maniac off your table you know you got pocket queens you're ready to call his all in he's got a bigger stack than you did because he stole all those blinds early mm -hmm. on forever you know I mean and that's but well, eventually, you can't play scared poker. Scared good, poker is losing poker. Good, yeah. Yeah. good aggressive players aren't maniacs, so. No, no, no. But they were actually describing it as a maniac. <laughs> yeah. I mean, their play was to be so aggressive, you just can't call them without risking your life. Yeah. Well, we know people are running aces that'll play that way oh, you know, oh, yeah. in tournaments, and it can be really frustrating, but you can yeah. get a lot of chips that way, too. But They're it's, either in or they're up. Yeah. But that, that's or they buy in seven times. Sure. <laughs> Although that guy seems to be missing lately. <laughs> he ran out of money. <laughs> well, any other any other points about uh, about those issues? A when to bet, size of bets. It's a learning. We're always learning and adjusting at the table, right? Mm -hmm. Didn't he talk about opponent sizing? Yep. Bets. Mm -hmm. What was that? How would that go again? I can't remember. I'm trying to think. Can we remember the? I don't remember exactly. Not an amount they can call. But the, you're talking about you, you know, the size of your opponent's you, yeah, like, right? Yeah, yeah if your opponent bets, how do you interpret that size? And maybe it's different for... Well, that's like the problem is it depends on the opponent. Exactly. If it's a good player and he's all of a sudden he's betting high, is he just adjust, or is it a bad player and he's betting... A lot of bad players have bet these monster bets, but, and they got... You know, pocket aces or something. You know, <laughs> that's not the time to. Well, it came down to. He said some players will bet big if when they, they have it. Well, or, or, or the opposite. Or, yeah, exactly. Right. Bet big if they mm -hmm. don't want you to call. Bet small if they want you to call. And who, mm -hmm. for players who are consistent on that, then you, you can exploit that right. because yeah. if they're betting big, and you don't have a hand, then you can raise them. Or if you do have a hand, you can raise them because you'll either get more money or um, they'll, fold. they'll fold. Or if they're betting small, you know that if you have a mediocre hand, it's not worth the call. Yep. No, right. Or you have to raise big. You want to be consistent to a point until you want to try to throw your game off somehow by not being consistent to make them think something else. You know? well, I think mean, the, the consistency is in being inconsistent. <laughs> it is. This is this is what we, we talked about even in the very first section yeah. is yeah. about opening up your range 
right? And, mm -hmm. and balancing it out. It's, it's not so much about consistency, it's about balance, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, are you, when we were on break and I was in the other room. Uh, bathroom we call that? Well, I was trying to be nice. Before we go to the bathroom? Recording. I was, <laughs> thank you. I was trying not to, you know. Uh, but I heard you ask about, you know, what do you do when, when you have a deuce in your hand and the flop comes deuce, deuce, seven? Are, are you going to be betting there? Well, yeah, I'm going to be dropping, betting there. Because, you know, I, 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 sometimes I want to bet there and sometimes I don't want to bet there because I yeah, need to balance my range. I don't need it. I, I want to make sure that I'm not only checking when I miss the flop and betting when I hit the flop or betting when I miss the flop and checking when I, when I hit it. You, you, it's, it's a balancing act and the consistency comes from balance is, is where that... But don't you want to balance by checking too when you hit a good Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I said. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes, sometimes you want to check when you hit it, sometimes yeah. you want to check when you miss it, sometimes, and vice, vice versa. Somewhere I've so, heard, heard that concept being called protecting your range. Sorry. If you are, if you make sure that with a wider portion of your range you do all of those actions, mm -hmm. that means they, the opponents can't properly can't narrow range. your range because you may have raised with 8-7 uh, suited when the flop was ace-king-10. Um, or you may have checked with top two pair. Or you may have raised with top two pair. And that just makes it wildly tough to play against because they have to just guess. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, aggressive players are tough to play against. For sure. But if you're a good player, I'd rather be aggressive and good and balanced and consistent. Most, a lot of aggressive players that, that we see at the rec table, they're aggressive and they, eventually it's just going to catch up. Now, what I don't love playing with is the aggressive person that's semi-good, you know. Yeah. They're just kind of, you know, or maniacs are, you know, I like, you, you, you've got to make sense of everything mm -hmm. and you got to, you know, throw people. It, it, no, it puts a lot of pressure on you though, when you feel like you have to make a hand. Whenever you're in that situation, yeah, where you feel like, not, not against if like, I have to make a hand against, if I say guy. him to me, it doesn't bother me. Well, he or anybody that's super yeah. aggressive anyway, behind you, that that yeah. puts a lot of pressure on you. You know, but yeah, when they're aggressive, they know what they're doing. You, you just can't, you know, second pair. You have to be pretty comfortable with second pair in a lot of situations like that, and that's hard. Yeah, you got to play or different third pair, or bottom pair, or pair under the board. Or right, exactly. right, depending right. on where you're sitting at with three. Well, any any final comments on this deal? Otherwise, we'll wrap up this Steve's section. He's gonna edit me out. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right, we're good. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24/7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning two dollars per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Well, that was a fantastic discussion. I really enjoyed getting together with those guys. Uh, we got together for, I don't know, three, four hours, and we were going to cover all five sections, but we only got through three, and we barely scratched the surface. But uh, great guys, great discussion, some people who are really eager to learn, uh, much like many of you who are listening to this. So uh, we're going to have more of those going forward, uh, discussions that you can join us with. Uh, the next two, chapter, uh, sections four and five, we did with a different group, whoever was available over a Skype call. So the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear sections 4 and 5, which covers chapter 9, will be next week, and then chapters 10 through 15 the following week. So uh, if, you're, if you're following along in the book, that's what you want to read. Just a reminder, All in for Africa, October 28th, with the final table broadcast, the Hawaiian cruise, or Hawaiian uh, trip, and uh, a lot of other great things that are out there happening. Uh, thanks again to all of our sponsors, the official sponsor, Running Aces, the official tour, Next Level Poker, as well as the Poker is Fun Tour with upcoming events this coming weekend at Canterbury Park and also to PokerCoaching.com. Well, that's it for the week. Thank you all for joining us, and we will talk to you soon.